live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hawks. Honestly, I didn't even know that people even knew what that was or that it was even taking place or that it had already taken place. The last time there was a WBC was six years ago, and it barely moved the needle, possibly because even the needle was bored. Even the needle was put to sleep. But there is no denying it. I've got to give credit where credit's due. The tournament this time around generated some legitimate juice, legit excitement, legit energy. And there is no denying that the way this tournament ended was really one of the most epic baseball moments ever. That's not even hyperbole. It was that good. One of the best baseball moments ever. Full stop. You could not possibly have scripted a better ending than the best two players in the world facing off against each other in that final at bat. The two best players in the world who are teammates, I mean, they had to have scripted it, right? The NFL might not have a script, but the WBC must. How could it come down like that? How did it go down like that? Yet somehow, someway, USA Japan really did come down to Shohei v. Mike Trout. Two outs, bottom of the ninth, one run game, and I mean, if I'm looking for a word to describe what that was, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm a wordsmith, scrumptious, scrumptious, scrumptious as hell. The two best players in the world who we never, ever get to see playing any kind of big spot on any kind of big stage, ever. That's the tragedy of those two guys being where they are right now. However, finally, they got their moment. Finally, they got their big stage. And incredibly, it was against one another for a world championship, which is pretty freaking cool, even if it wasn't the world championship. But the AB that we had anticipated that we finally got did not disappoint. Not in the least. This is how it went down on Fox Sports 1. A one-run game with two gone in the ninth inning. The dream matchup. Otani, Trout. One ball, no strikes. The 1-0 pitch. Swing and a miss. A fastball at 100. A nod from Trout. Ball two, just outside. Cut his fastball just off the plate at 100. And Trout hardly budged. Stars aligning for the dream matchup for the ages here in the ninth. 2-1. Two, 2-2. Two two. Otani's 2-2 two, two pitch. The count goes full. Otani's ready. Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out. Otani strikes out Trout. And Japan's back on top of the baseball world. I'm not sure I've seen a pitcher that fired up since Logan Rome slammed the door on Laguna Hills earlier this year. Just kidding. Just kidding, rogues. I mean, that was such an epic moment last night. I mean, legitimately epic, which is so legitimately strange to be saying about that sport. Truth is, the sport itself cannot put on a better show than what we saw last night. Fact, 17 inches of horizontal break on that filthy final 89 MPH slide piece from Shohei. And that was after he pumped in four straight 100-mile-per-hour heaters. Trout, arguably the best player in the world, not named Shohei. 
had no chance because nobody would have a chance. Dude got blown away. Basically, the AB warranted a baseball bat. Get this guy a tennis racket. Baseball bat. Get this guy a tennis racket. See what I did there? Baseball bat. Get this guy a tennis racket. Baseball bat. Get this guy a tennis racket. A reference that seems especially appropriate after Cardinals and Japan outfielder Lars Nupar said this about Otani on MLB Network after the game ended. I feel like we were on a scene of Space Jam right there. We got Michael Jordan, man, doing everything, going against the Monstars, man. That lineup's so unbelievable, and he faced three of the best hitters in the big leagues, and just goes to show you how special he is. I'll tell you what, dude, you're pretty special for invoking that as an analogy. What a great line. What a great quote. What a great Q&A. And he's right. The dude really is Jordan-esque. He's already a lot better than Babe Ruth. He's still the dude single-handedly making that sport relevant, saving the sport. And it's never been more obvious than over the past couple of weeks because it wasn't just that final standoff and showdown with Trout. This dude dominated the entire tournament. Shohei was 2-0. He had an ERA of 186. He had that save with 11 Ks, and he tied for the hardest pitch thrown at 102. I mean, if that's all he did, he's a monster or a monstar. Except at the dish, he also hit 435 with a bomb, four doubles, and eight runs batted in. And the hardest hit ball of the entire tourney at 118.7 MPH. Shohei also gave a Michael's secret stuff level pregame pep talk in the clubhouse that went something like this, quote, Let's stop admiring them. If you admire them, you can't surpass them. We came here to surpass them, to reach the top for one day. Let's throw away our admiration for them and just think about winning. End of quote. This bleeping dude. This dude. I mean, are you kidding? Naturally, of course, he was the MVP. And honestly, I'm not sure valuable even begins to describe that this guy or what his value is. Valuable. Valuable, to say this guy's valuable is almost a reason to go. To say this guy's valuable is the greatest understatement ever. Valuable? Alien is probably better. Shohei is the most alien player or the most valuable alien. Or we could just say the best player in the world and probably the best player ever. I mean, that good. Period. Period. There was zero doubt coming into the tournament, and there's even less than zero doubt coming out of the tournament. The only question, and it really wasn't fair because it's not his fault, but if there was a question about Shohei, it was how is this guy going to show up when he finally does get on a big stage? Since he really hasn't been on one in his entire major league career, unfortunately. Not only did this guy show up, not only did this guy show out, he loved it. He relished it. He thrived within it. He loves it. Clearly, he needs it, and he's built for it, and he's made for it. Which is why last night was not a great night for the team up the road for me right now. And I'm not here to bag on the Angels. I'm a former season ticket holder. I like them. They're right up the road from me. But it's never great when the city of Anaheim 
starts to trend nationally on social media because of how badly they're doing with their two superstars. And that's exactly what happened last night. Emphasis on former ticket holder. Anyway, the dude who came out on top of that at bat should have been rewarded with the ability to leave the Angels right now. And and it really hurts me to say that. But to see what that guy did on the big stage, how electric he was, and to think what he might do on that big stage consistently, imagine that guy in the so-called Fall Classic. Tell you what, as far as Anaheim goes, I think that we all know that he can leave after this season. I think we all know it's never been more likely than it is right now. He certainly is not throwing off a vibe like this is where he wants to be. And frankly, can you blame him? Maybe they trade him. But then again, what kind of a package could you put together for this guy? Arguably the greatest player ever. Like, I have no idea what kind of free agent contract he'll demand, but the dude is going to try to find a winner and he's going to get paid. However, you know me, I'm always looking for the good in everything. I'm a glasses half full guy. So let me find something positive as it relates to the Angels. Now the good news is, they finally won something last night. An Angel finally got to hold a hunk of metal. Just not the hunk of metal. And if we're all being honest, this tournament was so much better than any kind of the all-star bullcrap they put on every single year. Because this event itself was everything that the all-star game isn't. Competitive, exciting, tremendous energy, juice, engaged fans. At this point, they may as well just scrap the ASG altogether. Because it does nothing for the game. It doesn't make it better. The WBC just proved that it is great for the game which is an enormous and pretty shocking win for both the WBC and for baseball. So, quick question. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody, the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? Again, how many of you knew it even existed before this week? All I know is that baseball needs to embrace any and every win that it can get. I mean, think about it. Right now, the sport can almost do no wrong. This is the second gigantic boost that the sport has gotten. Number one, obviously, gambling. I mean, fact, gambling. Best thing to ever happen to baseball, gambling. Everybody knows this. Well, not everybody, not the commissioner, not Rob Manford. Adam Silver had to tell Rob that the pace of baseball is, quote, 
absolutely perfect for sports betting. Then, on top of that, you've got the WBC breaking all kinds of records in viewers, attendance, merch, social media. Hell, this is an astounding number. Shohei, this is an astounding number for an astounding human being. Shohei gained 2 million followers on Instagram since the WBC began. Do you know how hard it is to do something like that without showing softcore porno? Do you know how hard it is to do something like that without showing hardcore porno? Alvin, tell him. Dude, dude, no, no, no. Without showing any skin at all. Amazing. Some skin, sir. This alien is not going to be around forever. Baseball, don't screw it up. You know, and I'm not one of those guys who's going to go from zero to 100 or from this is totally irrelevant and not interesting to the best thing ever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it was a hell of a ride this time around. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Dan Hurley joining us. Dan, great to spend some time with you. How you feeling, Coach? Feeling great, man. It's been uh, you know, it's been an awesome ride here. Starting the year unranked, you know, finishing the year, you know, ranked top ten, and now get a chance to play in the second weekend. So, and we're in Vegas, so <laughs> pretty cool. Really cool, really cool, especially the way you started the year and to be where you are right now. Hey, Dan, listen, I understand that you're not satisfied just to be here. I understand you got plenty of work still ahead of you, but you are in the Sweet 16. You've got this incredible opportunity before you. So even with unfinished business, is it safe to say that UConn basketball is, in fact, officially back? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, it's like you, you take these steps, and it's um, like when you haven't been to a tournament in a while, you know, kind of getting over the hump to, to make the tournament feels like this enormous mountain that you got to climb. And, you know, so we're able to do that, you know, obviously in, in year three into year four. And, and um, you know, then the next mountain becomes like, you know, advancing in the tournament, uh, you know, getting to the second weekend. Once that gets into the bones of your organization, um, now, now you just believe that that's what you're supposed to do, uh, every season. So that's a, that's a big mountain to climb. And obviously, you know, when you play first round games and you're the coach at UConn, it's not the same feeling that you have when you play a first round games and you're a coach at Rhode Island. You know, there's an enormous weight of just getting through the first game or two. Um, you know, and now you feel a, a much greater sense of what's of just impacted. It, Dan, respect for that answer. I really appreciate that answer. That's very candid because you're right. It's not the same thing. So when you lay it out like that, you needed that first-round win pretty badly for the reason you mentioned, yet you trailed Iona by two at halftime. They're a 13. They're looking to pull a huge upset. They've got a Hall of Fame head coach. Even one of your assistants said that going into the locker room, the assistants were a little rattled, but not you, that you were completely calm 
given what was at stake, what were you feeling inside in that moment, and what was your message to your team at halftime in the first round? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, they were playing like in, in a way that I didn't think was sustainable. Um, Iona, they played, you know, by far the best half they played. Um, and I felt like we were playing well. Um, the difference from the, 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 uh, like the brutal feeling I felt against New Mexico State the year before was like we were just playing awful. And, uh, and that was kind of the difference when I was kind of walking in, uh, into the, into the locker room. Um, you know, and then I just think we got a better team. You know, this is like a, it's a really, you know, it's, it's a great group. Uh, I trust the team. I, you know, obviously, um, you know, we've proven ourselves over the course of the long season to be, you know, a team that can win big games. So I trust these guys. Dan Hurley joining us. You just mentioned we have a better team. We have a better team. Hey, Dan, do you feel like you're even a better coach now than you were then? For instance, are you approaching this tournament any differently than you have past tournaments? Every year you become a better coach. You know, I think every, you know, every practice, every game, you just, you know, you, you, you learn more. I've gotten a lot more comfortable in my own skin in terms of, you know, my relationship with, with, with the players. You know, like I'm such an intense coach. I coach these guys hard. I'm very, very demanding. You know, but I also feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm growing as a, as a leader. You know, obviously, you know, when you grow up in the household, I did. You're going to have a great feel for tactics. You know, with, with everything that Bob Sr. You know, has, has taught me and Bob, it's like tactics, player development. You understand the actual coaching piece, but, you know, that, that, that leadership piece is, you know, how you need to present to your team on the day of big games, the confidence, the swagger, you know, the closeness with the players, the trust, all that stuff. Dan Hurley is joining us for a few more moments. You mentioned family. I spoke to your brother, Bobby, a couple of weeks back. Love him. Man, I love Bob, always have. He told me he loved the desert and he was not looking to leave, yet there was that speculation that, you know, this is a Northeast guy, maybe he's going to go back home, maybe he'd be happier there. That said, how pumped were you to see him agree to an extension at Arizona State? Yeah, you know, Bob... Uh, thrilled and, and not not relieved because you you know the success he's had there you know the you know he really would, would be a you know I've coached in four NCAA tournaments there if it wasn't for the COVID year, year that was canceled and you know I don't know that anyone's done that ever in Tempe so you know he's obviously taken that program you know to a level that it hasn't been to uh, you know and, and, I, and I think uh He's going to continue to grow it, but you know Bob's a special coach, and obviously the you know adding him uh, there's some speculation about him entering the Big East fray. Uh, it truly would have been the UFC if, if Bob would have joined, you know, joined everything that's going on in the Big East right now. Hey, but by the way, it's neither here nor there, and so you might say to me, "So we don't need to talk about it." But you just had a great analogy. It'd be the UFC. Like, what would have happened if Bob joined the ranks of the Big East? I mean, like, you know, where do you go for a game if he's in the Big East? Like, it's already brutal with Providence because they're the, you know, the, they're, they're the regional rival, and our fan bases absolutely despise each other. 
but now Ed Brothers into that mix, <laughs> and now Pacino at St. John's, and you know Ed's now at, at, at Georgetown, you know, and now I'm in, and, you know, shock. I mean, it's just uh, Sean Miller. I mean, the league right now without Bob, it's uh, you know, it feels like it's. Uh, going to be the, the preeminent uh, conference and conference. Dan Hurley joining me. One last thought, Dan, before you go. What about Patino? What's your reaction to Rick Patino working his way all the way back and getting an enormous opportunity, which I think he absolutely earned and deserved, but getting that opportunity at 70, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, listen, he don't look 70. You know, he... Uh, you know, I didn't know what he would look like when, when, when he shook hands because you could just see him on TV, on sometimes TV lives. But you know, he he's got he's got all the pop it looks like that he needs. Um, you know, to, to crush it at St. John's, it's great for the league. Um, you know, you're right. I mean, he's had to prepare a coach of his caliber. You know, he's one of the all-time greats to do it. He had to humble himself and, and coach in you know some different type of places than somebody his caliber is used to, but. You know, it, this is great for the league. It's going to be great for, you know, fan interest and excitement surrounding these games. It's just going to make the league stronger, and it's going to obviously make those St. John's, UConn games, uh, you know, more exciting, especially the ones with the Garden. You bet. One last thought, Dan. What about Arkansas? Eric Musselman's got his hogs playing their best ball when it matters most. What stands out to you the most about them, and how do you like the way you match up with, their, with those guys? Yeah, um, you know, just their – Obviously, the talent there, the you know, with, with, uh, with Smith and Black, two potential top ten picks, uh, you know, and then obviously Council and Walsh, who comes off the bench with two more late first potential early second round pick types, uh, just with you know with Davis and just the length, the athleticism, the the way they're guarding right now, they're very very physical. They're, they're um, you know they. They were a preseason top 10 team in the country, and when you put on film um, of what they look like late in the year, you know you're playing you know, a team that's a top 10 team in the country. It's going to be a, it's going to be a brutal game. Brutal game, but an awesome, awesome matchup. UConn, the fourth seed in the West, and they're going to take on Arkansas tomorrow night in Vegas. Dan Hurley is the head coach at UConn. Dan, appreciate the time. I know you got a lot going on this week. Thanks for making time for us, and great to have you on the show. Pleasure, man. It's always awesome being on with you, Jim. You too, Dan. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. And I really can't get enough of it. That's a better way to put it. I can't get enough of it. And apparently, a lot of you feel the same way because yesterday we had nonstop phone calls. We had emails. We had Twitter reaction. And it was way more than I ever expected. Honestly, I knew I would get all the Italian restaurant rigatoni as condom takes. But it was so good to talk about this from a basketball standpoint. We could have done three hours on Rick Pitino legitimately yesterday. And again, I'm talking about legit reaction, not just Italian restaurant quickie zingers. Not just rigatoni condoms. Not just that's amore parodies. 
Not that crap. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about legit excitement. Obviously in New York, but even around the country. Like the guy's Nikon. Now I want to make this clear one more time. I'm not saying that I'm ignoring or overlooking any of his past transgressions. I'm not saying this is the greatest humanitarian. I'm not nominating him for sainthood. I'm just saying I'm fascinated by this guy. And I know I'm not the only one. And before he hit the podium yesterday, he said what I said first on this show. He earns this shot. He earned it. He deserves it. He's made mistakes. He's owned the mistakes. He's paid for the mistakes. And essentially had to start over and rebuild himself, his image, and his career. And that's exactly what he did. He had to go to Greece to start that rebuild. The guy was exiled. Essentially blackballed. Run off to Greece. Now, there are worse places to be run off to, but but he did it. He built his career back up from scratch. So that's what fascinates me. Not only did he rebuild it, I mean, just getting back to I- Iona was something. He made it back to the Big East. He made it back to a storied program that is, well, had really tough times, but storied. And he got that gig at 70. I'm fascinated that even at age 70 and even in the biggest media market in the world, this dude is still a no doubt slam dunk of a hire at once again, 70. So then how does he show up? I love the way this guy rolled into that intro at MSG yesterday. As if that weren't big enough, as if that weren't a big enough stage, as if the hype were not already through the roof. The 70-year-old dude showed up and actually exceeded all of the hype. And he hit that huge stage with huge energy. Like, I'll throw it back. Hugh, 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 huge energy. Hugh, Hugh, Hugh. I mean, check this dude out. Essentially guaranteeing. There's calling your shot, and then there's guaranteeing something. Essentially guaranteeing that the Red Storm basketball program is back and is about to go to the moon. And today, for me, this is one of the most special moments of my life. I've been to the Garden as the Nick coach. I've been to the Garden as the Providence coach. And now I get to represent something really, really special. And it's not about when or if. It's going to happen for St. John's. And it's going to happen in a big way. I mean, how can you not love and respect the big brass set from the old head. It's not a question or if or when. He didn't use the word, but he effectively he's saying it's not a question of if or when, but inevitability. It's going to happen in a big way. Not, not we will try our hardest and we will instill confidence and build a culture just right to the point. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in a big way. How do you not love the brass set on the old head? You think the Madison Square Garden stage is too big for this dude? Believe that. I'm not even sure New York City is big enough for this guy. How can you not love the energy coming from a 70-year-old like that? He's not messing around either. He made it very clear right away. Right off the very top, major changes are coming. Essentially, the scrubs that he's inheriting are not going to stick. Well, the one thing I want to be honest with is that a lot of players probably won't be back on this team because they're probably not a good fit for me. With me, it's, it's 
I mean, my, I think my players love playing for me, even from Mark Jackson and Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley. I spoke with Oak last night. They love playing for me with the Knicks. But it takes a certain type of basketball player to want to play for me. He's got to be a, a total over-the-top in love with the game of basketball. And if you're not, it's just a bad fit with me. It, it doesn't work. I mean, that, that literally is the entire Patino deal right there. He's right. You have to be the player version of him. And the version of him is over-the-top passion, over-the-top commitment, over-the-top capacity to work, over-the-top passion. And this guy hasn't lost any of that at 70. And unless you have that or you're capable of that, you can't hang with this guy. He doesn't want you. This is why I think this is a slam dunk hire. It's why the hype is through the freaking roof in New York City right now for a program that hasn't mattered in decades. Hell, even 98-year-old godfather of St. John's, Louis Carnesecca showed up and he gave the youngster, the 70-year-old, his blessing. Why do you have no doubts that, that he's going to succeed? Look at the, the background. You know, it's there. Wherever he's coached, he's done a marvelous job. And he's completely dedicated. Almost almost to fanaticism. He's, uh, he'll do the job. Louis is 98. Is that incredible? Quote, look at the background. It's there. Wherever he's coached, he's done a marvelous job. And he's completely dedicated almost to fanaticism. He'll do the job. I couldn't agree more. That's pretty much the perfect take about Patino. He's also had a pretty good take over the weekend when initially he initially endorsed the hire saying, I don't think we can get a better coach and I can't bring back Naismith. Louis Sharp, still sharp, and he's all in on Patino. But while Patino might have Karnasek's full blessing, he does hate Lou's gym, a.k.a. the Lou Karnasek Arena out in Jamaica, Queens. Because here's another change, and it's happening already. Patino said he plans on playing the full slate of Big East games in Madison Square Garden next year with even more games added for 2024-25. Essentially, he just showed up and he proclaimed, this is my house. He shows up to Madison Square Garden after all this time and reminds everybody or lets everybody know, now you're in my house. This is my house. Louis Arena is nice and all. Good for you, Lou. You earned it. But this program deserves the biggest stage on earth, and I deserve the biggest stage on earth, and my players will deserve the biggest stage on earth. I mean, I'm, I'm not even paraphrasing it. This dude seriously said from the podium, quote, I deserve it. And quote, I earned it regarding his return to college basketball. And he does. He does deserve it. He did earn it. I love that energy. I really do. And again, I'm not deifying the man, nor am I forgetting what he's done in the past. But what I'm saying to you is no other 70-year-old could generate that kind of excitement in New York City. Name me any... In fact, it's a, it's a pretty good practice. Tommy, I'll even let you play along. Find me any 70-year-old, any person, regardless of gender, walk of life, or profession. 
that could inspire that kind of juice at that age in that town? I mean, I don't know. I'm asking it literally, not rhetorically. Find me somebody else who's 70 that could show up like that with that kind of juice and energy in that town. I'm thinking. Outside of, I don't know, Sir Paul McCartney. I don't know. But that's a 70-year-old dude blown in with that kind of bravado and puffed-out chest. Can't get enough. Even you clones like it. So, I love the hire. I love the energy. Just for the last time, keep your rigatoni as condom blast to yourself. You've had several years to run that junk out here. The statue of limitations has run out. At least as far as I'm concerned, you can take that crap someplace else. It's going to happen for St. John's. It's going to happen in a big way. So, quick question. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody, the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Mitch Henderson is my guest. Mitch, it is great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you? Mitch, I'm awesome. It's great to talk to you. Really appreciate it. So let me ask you this. You, you lead Princeton to the Sweet 16. The school has never been there before. You're just the fourth 15 seed to get to the round of 16. Does it feel pretty normal and legit, or does it really feel incredibly surreal and a little crazy? Uh, uh, the second part, we, um, I'm calling you from the bus on the way to Philadelphia. We just left our campus after practicing. We're on our way to Louisville and, you know, a thousand plus alumni, fans, students, professors cheering us on. And, uh, we're, we're pinching ourselves. Of course, I, I actually think we're playing really great basketball and I'm psyched about our opportunities, but, uh, this is, it's a really special moment here. And, uh, I gotta, I gotta tell you, so, um, one of my favorite moments in my life, this is my second time on your show, uh, 1998, I called in, we spoke, we were a five seed, and I got some great jungle karma going into the first round of the NCAA tournament when I was a student. And I had, it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had talking to you, so I'm glad to be with you again. My man, you telling that story is one of the cooler things that's happened to me in quite some time. I actually <laughs> love that, Mitch. I'm so glad you brought that up. That, that's I, incredible. I, got, I, I, got, I love it. I tell everybody this story. I, I hope that, sorry to interrupt you. I just, it was so fun for me because we were a five seed, and you started off, and you were like, how in the world did you guys get a five seed? And I started to tell some story about how Carl and Malone's Louisiana Tech team got a, you know, a six seed, and they were similar to us. And you were like, 
Holy cow, I stand corrected. It was great. I, I was so happy. Yeah, I, I, I've never been so. Now. Yeah, Mitch, it's a great story, and although I don't enjoy being wrong, I'd never been so happy to be wrong. So that really was uh -oh. awesome. I, I mean, it really is amazing. Let me ask you: since we're talking about your playing days, also at Princeton, your legendary coach Pete Carroll passed away in August. He was mm -hmm. such a transcendent figure in the college game. Can you even put into words how he helped to shape you as a person and the coach that you are right now? Yes, I, I can, and it's. You know, when you're when you're deciding in the recruiting process where to go to school, I mean, I, I remember distinctly I wanted to play at Indiana or Butler. I'm from Indiana, and I had been getting recruited by you know some of the Ivies, Princeton being one of them. And my dad was like, "Where do you want to go to school?" And and I started to talk through it, and I stopped, I got to Princeton. He goes, "Okay, let's stop right there." And you know, you, you go you go out there. So first, you sort of need your parents to sort of push you in that direction sometimes, and then you meet Coach Carroll, who taught basketball, Jim, really as a metaphor for life. Um, you know, he was in the Hall of Fame the first year he retired, but, you know, he's a very decorated coach, but, you know, never made a Final Four and, like, you know, didn't win a national championship, but really was transcendent in his own way. Four guys playing around a skilled post, uh, very much of what you see now with the modern game. He was obsessed with Bill Russell's um, effect on the game. He always said that no one affected the game or did as many things to make their team win as Russell. So, you know, and then, and then there's the way he talked. You know, this, uh, he was very direct, very difficult to play for in some ways because he was so direct, but saw the game so fast and quickly. And he's influenced me so much that it's hard to know where his thoughts start and mine start, kind of, if that makes sense. So I'm, uh, I'm, we're honoring him this season. We have a bow tie on our uniforms, which honor Coach Carrillo. And uh, we're, we're psyched to be in the Sweet 16. I know he's watching. No, that does make sense. And I appreciate that response a lot. In fact, Mitch Henderson is my guest. You know, what's really interesting, you said when I said, is it surreal, is it wild? You said, yes, it's all those things. But you also said, I'm really excited by how well we're playing. Like, as an example, mm -hmm. that Arizona win is going to live forever in Princeton lore. And you see something like that, but Mitch, how many times have we seen a team pull a massive upset only to fall flat and even get blown out in the next round? What's it say about your group that it kept its head and it beat a quality opponent in Missouri in the second round to get to the second weekend? I appreciate this question very much because it allows me to say that we tried to identify years ago uh, what it's going to take to win two games in the tournament. And I, I got fortune of... Uh, Good fortune to be an assistant in the Big Ten and you know, Bo Ryan, Wisconsin teams and the Izzo, Michigan State teams to me, I always, they weren't always perfect, but they just made it all the time. They advanced two games, you know. So it's rebounding and defense. So we out-rebounded Arizona, got more points in the paint. We out-rebounded Missouri, more points in the paint, took more free throws, made more free throws. And that's been a long time in the making. And we've identified those kinds of guys in the recruiting process. And Princeton is a very attractive place for certain kids. And uh, we have a kid from San Diego. We have a kid coming in from Harvard-Westlake, which is right there in L.A. And uh, we, we, uh, we're shooting for the stars, and, and we're got, we've got great players that like to play physically. Mitch Henderson joining us. You kind of answered the question I was going to hit you with, but maybe you can elaborate on that. The Princeton brand already is world-renowned, so it's not like the university needed this additional exposure, but your run of the Sweet 16 may have caught the attention of some younger players who do have the grades and the game to come to the program. Effectively, what are you looking for when you recruit? What's the general profile of a Princeton student-athlete? 
So we, we first cast a wide net in terms of the grades, and then we, we lock in on what we think the top 20 student-athletes are in the country. And we're very direct in terms of what we're looking for and, um, and, and about what it's like here. We don't shy away from the rigor. You know, you are a – we want you to be – have a world-class basketball experience and an unrivaled academic experience. And there are kids out there that like that. Now, of course, we're non-scholarship. Um, certain families, of course, get a significant amount of aid, but, you know, you have to work with families on all those things. But then, you know, again, as you probably are well aware, like, I think the name of the game in college basketball these days is adaptability. And, you know, transfer portal, NIL, and you look at a place like ours and, you, you know, over the years, and we couldn't point to a Sweet 16, Jim. You couldn't say, like, it was a relevant national moment that there is now. And uh, we're, we're just uh, – this is going to be to give us a big bump in recruiting, and kids know that they can come to a place like this and increase their own personal brand, but while also not sacrificing anything academically or on the court. Princeton head coach Mitch Henderson on the bus with his team joining us. You know, Mitch, it's interesting. Like, you obviously can't hit the portal hard and look for that quick fix like a lot of other coaches can. But but looking at the group that you have right now and how they've played together, worked together, and respond to each other, is that not an advantage, and especially this time of year? I actually think it is. And uh, I know this might seem, you know, it's not, this is, this is very familiar for me, but, you know, <laughs> I've got a guy taking thermonuclear dynamics. I've got a guy taking Chinese. I've got you know, multiple economics majors, pre-meds. They learn and grow from one another, and that's what they sign up for. And then also, we're a 5,000 undergrad uni- university. Over, over 1,000 of the students are athletes. So they're, they're going to school with really like-minded and um, very high-achieving people that that are just like them. So you're just constantly raising the level as you're uh, on each team. And, and I think the school has such incredible school spirit because of it. Cause you know, they, they, uh, they, they help each other grow. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Iron will always sharpen iron and you always want to there, surround there yourself yes. with people who make it better or make you better. Yes. So Mitch, you, you've been here before. Well, not really. Like nobody's been there before. You got them there. Yeah. The players got them there. I'm curious, what about the experience? Like I've got two really good friends in the media who played football at Princeton. Kyle Brandt, who worked on this show for years. Yep. Ross Tucker, who introduced me to Kyle Brandt. I know that they're loving this run. Generally, what is your fan base like, and what does the experience mean to them? So Ross Tucker's doing our game on Friday. Um, he's, the, he's the radio guy, I think. And Ross Tucker sent me a message saying that our win over UCLA is a big reason why he went to Princeton. Now, that's what he told me. I hope that's true. But I will tell you that um, these sorts of moments – our fans in Sacramento were unreal. It was like they were in hysterics, jumping chokeholds. One, one, a cousin, a friend of mine, roommate of mine had one of my, my I have a five-year-old son, who hold him upside down. <laughs> you know, right. and our, our fans are going to travel really well to Louisville. And as you know, those, those games, they put the fans in a section right near your bench. But there's a great access to the court, and, and those things matter. They matter a lot neutral court so I think that we we take a lot of pride here in um, our sports and basketball just happens to be one of those areas where you can make a major impact for the university so I'm psyched and 
Um, you mentioned the UCLA game way back in the day, or we, you know, I mean, I, I, as a player, yes, I had, I had a great experience, but nothing like this, Jim. This is a million times better. So you beat me to that. You already answered that question, but what about that game, Mitch? Mitch Henderson, my guest. What about that game? You were a member of that team that shocked UCLA in 96. What do you remember about that game, and what kind of thoughts do you have when you look back? So Coach would always say to us, Coach Carroll would say, in his own voice, I'm preparing you to win the game. <laughs> and he would, he, when the ball went up in the air, we, he goes, just run back on defense because you're not going to get it anyways. So we did. You know, when the ball went up and all five guys ran back on D. I, I remember that, you know, they were the defending national champs and, and we played to win. It was a very low possession game. And I can't say it was the exact same framework against Arizona, but 59-55, we knew we had to keep them in check and transition. And so I draw on that game regularly and often. And then, and then you know, the, the impact that that game has had on myself and my teammates over the last 25, 27 years, it's it stands, I mean, there's not a week that goes by when somebody doesn't sort of say, like, oh, you were on that team. And you get into coaching, and it's all you want to is to, you know, again, be a great, you know, be great at what you're doing, of course, on the court, but also provide an experience for the students athletes that that was similar to the one I got to have and this one this is special and and we're and we want to keep it going and I know you're going to make sure that everybody knows that so really quickly Greg McDermott obviously is a heck of a coach these guys came back in the sweet 16 second time in three years as you look Mitch at the tape of Creighton what stands out to you the most about the Blue Jays they have a kid inside named Carl Brennan is unbelievable 7-1 he blocks so many shots around the rim without fouling he's got a a particularly unusual skill set that we have not seen. And then they've got a kid, Nemhard, who I just thought was unbelievable against Baylor, and among other great players. They are, at this point, I think, you know, the best, uh, very talented team, but also great continuity. And, and, you know, I think at this point in the tournament, you start to see your your best isn't quite enough. And and we know that we're going to have to be at our best. Um, but we'll also have to have great savvy and, and guts against some really good players and a really well-coached team. You're right about Greg. He's, he's got his team playing very well. Well, your, your group has proven that. It's got guts, it's got savvy, and no one's afraid of the big stage. And I think while it's a great story, let's not lose track of the fact this is a really, really nice team. Mitch, great to have you on. Obviously, it's been oh, a man. minute. Listen, but really good to talk to you, Mitch. Thanks so much. I, I appreciate it. Looking for some more jungle karma, Jim. Thank you very much. My man, you got it. Mitch, you got it. I don't control it, but if I did, I would say you got it. Here is the latest in the ongoing Lamar saga. So I mentioned Mike Florio has a report that, quote, a representative for Jackson is contacting more than one team in an effort to spark negotiations aimed at a possible offer sheet. The representative is not certified by the NFL Players Association per multiple sources. So Lamar, I mean, he'll go far enough to say, all right, what I'm doing is not working. So I'm going to get some help. I'm going to get somebody to see if they can get something started and we can get at least an offer sheet. So, in other words, Lamar finally got around to asking somebody to help him. Maybe even somebody to represent him. Something he should have done so long ago, except, according to this report, this player is not, or this person, is not certified by the NFLPA. So, who is it? What? Who is now representing this guy? Yes, I said that. He has somebody, according to a report, 
talking to teams, but that person is not certified by the NFLPA. What? So who is it? Is it a lawyer? Who knows? Is it some accountant? I don't know. Is it a business owner, a CEO? Is it one of his boys? I don't know. My man, Lamar, I don't want anybody to tell me how to do my job, so the last thing I'm going to do is tell you how to do your job, especially your job. What do I know about your job? But I do have a question. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job, but I do have a question. The hell are you doing now, big dude? You do know, and also stated in that same Florio report, that the NFL has told teams not to negotiate with representatives not certified by the NFLPA. The league is on record with that. So what do you do? You have somebody negotiating or at least proxying or working on your behalf who is not certified by the NFLPA. And for who? For what? For what? Pride? Because you don't want to back down? Money? Because you don't want to pay a commission to an agent? which probably would end up being walk-around money for you, considering what that agent could and will get you. And again, for who? For what? None of these guys that you don't want to pay would ever try to do your job because they're not qualified. So why are you trying to do their job because you're not qualified? I understand other players have done this. I understand that even other players have had success doing it. But your deal is a completely different deal. We're talking about one of the biggest deals ever. A deal to set up your kids, 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 kids. One of the biggest deals arguably ever in sports. So why would you not hire the very best person you could find to handle the most important document of your life, the most important negotiation of your life. Why are you looking for a cheaper, less qualified person to handle the most important negotiation of your entire career? Because by the way, it's going terribly. The whole thing could rip apart. It can blow up right in your face. Lamar, trust me, dude, I get it. I've been in this game more than 30 years, which means I've been paying agents, I have been paying lawyers. I have been paying managers. I've been paying PR people. I've done this in my my entire career. I know it sucks, dude. Those are hard checks to write. And I'm not talking about the 3% that you're probably looking at. Or maybe even two. You could probably find somebody who would do that deal for 2%. In Hollywood, that's not how they work. In Hollywood, they all get five or they all get 10 or they get crazy monthly retainers. In fact, when I look at what I've paid out to my reps over the years, I don't even know how I've made a single dollar. They all get a piece. Hell yes, it hurts to scratch that check. Hell yes, it hurts to chip them off every bleeping month. No offense, David Feldman, you're a great attorney. But I know, dude, I know. However, I let them do their thing So I can keep the main thing, the main thing. I let them do their thing so I can do my thing. That's why I hire them. I do my thing on radio and TV because that's where I'm great. I am not great in negotiating contracts. I hire somebody else who is good to great at that. 
That's how that works. I promise you, what you would have to pay an agent, and I know it's a hell of a lot of money, but it's still a drop in the bucket compared to what that same person is going to end up getting you. They can't do what you can do, but you can't do what they can do because they're schooled up. They have a network of relationships because of who they know and what they know and the history and experience they have in dealing with these same owners and GMs. They're wired for it. It's where they live. It's what they're built for. It's their job. You're not like that. You're an incredible player. You're an incredible teammate. You're a great dude. Hell, you're a former unanimous league MVP. Lamar, you're about all the right stuff. But it doesn't mean that you're qualified to negotiate your own deal. Because you're not. How do I know? Look at how it's going. A real good agent is going to not only educate you on things that you don't know. And again, it's not your fault you don't know. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't know because you're not trained to do it. But not only will an agent help you with these things that you don't know, a really good agent, and I'm not talking about a yes man or a sycophant, a really good agent, if you hire the right one, is going to tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, what the market really is. I'm not saying that you shouldn't fight for every single dollar that you can get. You should. Every athlete should. Every player should. You just shouldn't be fighting that fight yourself. Nor should you have somebody who is not certified by the NFLPA to fight that fight for you when the league has already made it clear that teams are not to negotiate with people who are not certified by the NFLPA. So what's the reaction to that? That I didn't have anybody negotiate for me. I'm just having one of my guys run around and try to get an offer sheet. Again, for who? For what at this point? The deal's not getting done. Tell me again why you would not hire an NFLPA certified agent. Tell me again. Pride? If it's pride, get over yourself. Swallow your pride, check your ego at the door, and add another member to your team that excels at this. And if it's not pride, then it's money. I get it. It's money. But you have to make an investment in yourself. And this is going to be some of the best money you've ever invested. Not doing so, in fact. Here's the irony, right? He's not doing it because he doesn't want it to cost him money. But by not doing it, it may not only not save you money, it may cost you money, if that makes sense. Listen, I didn't have a huge issue when the story first dropped that he was going to rep himself. Your life, your career. I'm cool with that. That's fine. It didn't seem like a very good idea when I heard it, but I've heard worse ideas. That was my take then. But given that this has been going on now for like two years and that you're no closer to a deal reportedly, and now we're looking at a situation where it might blow up for both the team and the player, not having an NFLPA certified rep is officially a bad idea. Look what it's gotten you. Again, you need somebody to tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Somebody who will tell you this. That nobody else in the NFL does business like the Cleveland Browns. Nobody else is going to guarantee you $230 million plus because nobody else does business like the Browns. And the only reason the Browns did it is because they're the Browns. And because they were desperate. And because they were ignorant. 
That deal, again, is not a comp. That deal is not the comp you think it is. It's an aberration, an anomaly. That's not the bar. That's not the standard. That's not the precedent. And no one is operating as if it is other than you and whoever's running around on your behest right now. Lamar, dude, I'm rooting for you. I want to be so clear about this. I, I think every athlete should do everything they can to get every last dollar they can. I mean that. I'm rooting for you as one of the most exciting players in the NFL. I want you to make all the money you can possibly make. But dude, hire an agent and let them handle it for you. Just own that you thought you could do it, but you're in way, you're in way too deep. You're in over your head. And that this is as big a reason probably as any for this thing not getting done. Keep the main thing the main thing. Hire somebody qualified to handle the business side. You gave it a shot. I'm cool with that. It's not working. Own that. Adjust. Fix it. Get it done. I mean, as an example, and I'll have Dan Hurley next segment. As an example, could you imagine if I did negotiate my own deals? Think about how different my life would be. Could you imagine what this show would be like had I negotiated all my own deals? I would probably still be broadcasting from high atop hot dog on a stick. And that's a true story. I used to broadcast in a mall, in a studio, above hot dog on a stick. Fact. Or maybe... Maybe if I was a little better at negotiating than I'm giving myself credit for, maybe I could have upgraded to Esparo. Be proud of myself for being on top of a Panda Express or working out of a food court. I don't know, man. You gave it a shot. It's not working. Hire the best agent that you can because it's one of the most important contracts ever. Good night, night.